because we're, we're in this series on Truly Free, and there are copies of the book and the study guide available if you want them. Um, I, I've ordered, and then they were all gone, and I ordered, and then they were all gone, and I ordered again. And so as long as you keep taking them, I'll put them out there. But you got to pay for them. No. <laughs> but if you can't pay for them, just take one. If it'll help you get free, I'll, I'll put in $6 so you get free. It's worth it. Um, but I don't cover everything in the chapter in the, the sermons because there's not enough time. And in fact, today, I put two chapters together. In fact, today we're going to talk about um, being free from the snares of bitterness and the snares of past wounds. Okay, so there's two chapters in the book that I tied together just for the sake of time, and they go together so well. And the reason this is a difficult day is, is because whenever we're wounded, we're wounded. Okay, I mean, do you, you understand what it is to be hurt? To, to have someone do something or say something uh, intentionally or unintentionally and it wounds you? And uh, the worst thing that we can do now is stand up here, or I can do is stand up here and say, you know, you're in a prison of your own choosing. Because then it's like heaping more hurt onto that hurt, right? You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. Whenever we allow bitterness and past wounds to put us in a prison, it is our choice. Because the scriptures say that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are not victims to what anyone has done to us. We are not victims of any circumstance in life. Because the Son has set us free. And so we just have to make sure we remind ourselves in those moments of pain and those moments are real that he has set us free and we have to choose to walk in freedom and we'll talk and process through that as we go through the day. And so Lord, I just ask again that you'd open up our hearts to hear what your spirit is saying to your church and then help us, Holy Spirit, give us the grace that we need to walk in that freedom to walk in the freedom that Jesus came and provided for us. It's ours. We possess it. Help us to live in it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, we were in a study on the book of Hebrews, and we haven't quite gotten to Hebrews chapter 12, but we're going to get there eventually, and uh, once we get out of this uh, series. But as we start talking about um, bitterness and past wounds, and we're going to actually read verses 12 or 14 through 17 here in a minute, and so we're starting this week on Wednesday night our study called The Bait of Satan, which deals with being offended, um, deals with forgiveness and unforgiveness and what it does to us and how the enemy uses it to trap us as believers. And last week we started with breaking free from the snare of pride and that was important because pride uh, is in all of us. I mean, pride is such a, a natural part of human nature and pride is such a part of our culture as Americans that uh, it's everywhere. And sometimes we don't even recognize pride. I mean, well, I don't have pride. Well, when we make the statement, I don't have pride or I don't, pride isn't my issue, uh, that's a sign that pride is your issue. In fact, it's more your issue than people who are dealing with their pride. So pride exists in our lives, but we can be free from that. We don't have to live in that. And then the second one now with, with bitterness in the past, I think this is what kills more believers than anything else. This is what puts us in a prison more than anything else. And here, look, Luke chapter 17, verse one, Jesus talking with his disciples, he said to them this. He said, it's impossible. It's impossible for no offenses to come. The son of God reminds us that it is utterly impossible for you to live on this earth and never have the chance to be offended. It's impossible. I mean, I, I, I can't wrap my brain around that. How can the God of the universe say anything's impossible? Nothing's impossible. Because he allows fallen human beings to exist here. The only way it would be possible for no offense to come is to wipe out sin. And to wipe out sin, he would have to cast those who have not put faith into Christ into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and then there's no opportunity for offense. But as long as there are sinful people, as long as we still have this flesh that we wrestle with, there will be an opportunity for offense. It will just keep happening. But the opportunity for offense is not bitterness. The opportunity for offense, the wound that happens is not our problem. The problem is what we do with it when the wound comes. 
Hebrews chapter 12, start at verse 14. Let's read it together. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Verse 16, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Now, there's a lot in these verses, but what I want to start with is uh, uh, something called wormwood. I don't know if you've ever heard the term wormwood, but wormwood is actually in the daisy family. It's an herb. It grows in the ground, and it's a very bitter herb. And this passage of Scripture is using that poisonous, that bitter root to describe and define it. And it's used elsewhere in the Scripture. But this root, by the audience, would, they'd understand it because they would use Use it. They would use it to flavor certain foods in just small portions. They would use it for alcohol in some alcoholic drinks that they would have. They would use it as an insect repellent. They would even use it as medicine. But if you would use it in, in too much quantity, if you would take too much of this herb, you could actually begin to hallucinate. It could make you sick. Okay, it could even lead to death in extreme, in, in extreme overdoses. And so it's a pretty powerful root. And that's what he's referring to in this area of bitterness. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 29 is where we're introduced scripturally to this wormwood. And look at what he says. So that there, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. So that there may not be among you man or woman, family or tribe, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these other nations so that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. So when our hearts turn away from God, when, we, when our focus gets off the Lord and we start being a God unto ourselves or we have other things that are our God, then wormwood, bitterness, begins to creep in. But that, that's not the only places. In Proverbs chapter five, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. It's, it's not by mistake that Esau and being godless and immoral like Esau is in this passage on bitterness. These, that bitterness is tied to so many other things. And we have to see this, the power of bitterness in the scripture and what it does in our lives and what it produces in our lives. Then the last reference I want to give you, Revelation chapter 8. A third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. So what's the scripture saying? Well, bitterness, it sickens us. Bitterness kills us. Bitterness is a poison in our system, and the root of bitterness produces all kinds of evil in our lives. Remember when James talked about selfishness in the church, and where there's selfishness, where there's bitterness, where there's envy, where there's jealousy in the church? There's all kinds of evil. And so here's what we do. We try to chop off all the kinds of evil, but the root is really what we got to deal with the root of pride, but even more so the root of bitterness. And a root is literally a cause. And too often we want to try to deal with the symptoms in our lives without dealing with the root. People that have financial problems, they, they struggle to make their ends meet, they struggle with debt and they get into problems. It, it's a symptom. It's a symptom. And so here's what we do. We try to deal with the symptom by filing bankruptcy. People who file bankruptcy are actually two-thirds more likely to file it again than someone who's never filed at all. See, you didn't get into financial trouble for the most part. I mean, I know medical things happen and other things happen beyond our control at times and sometimes put us in a bind, but the root 
of the financial problems is probably how we spend or spending more than we're bringing in or trying to you know, ease the pain that we feel by buying stuff or trying to get our self-worth from what we own or what car we drive. See, there, it could be a, a, a lot of different things. And so we try to deal with the symptoms instead of dealing with the root. We can move from one bad relationship to another. Why, why is that person always in a bad relationship? Well, there's a root that needs to be dealt with. I mean, you can try to say, hey, you're in a bad relationship. Let me teach you what a good relationship looks like. But if we don't deal with the root, we're not going to fix anything. And so we've got to find the root. And what Hebrews is telling us is that this root of bitterness can literally corrupt Many. I mean, in our world today, people get offended for other people. I mean, the wrong hasn't even been done to you, but you get offended for them. I mean, this thing, it affects, why do churches split? Because one person gets upset, and then a group rallies around them and gets upset, and then they leave. And well, who's right or who's wrong? Well, everybody's wrong. That's the problem. And nobody wants to admit it. And there's bitterness in our hearts and it cannot stay there. We can't let it stay there. And it's not the wound, it's not the moment, it's not the, 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 the act that happens that leads to bitterness. You know, if you feel upset or angry by something, you know, we don't have control over emotions that come. We have control over emotions that stay. I mean, if I start thinking about someone who wounded me, what emotions do you think are going to pop up? And I don't have control over whether I bump into them or not. And so what do I do? Well, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but we take it to the Lord. We, we, we let that stuff out. Lord, here's how I feel. I mean, we, we try to pretend, well, no, it's not a big deal. You know, you know what drives me nuts? Is when you know someone's upset with you. And you ask them, and oh, no, no, it's not a big deal. Come on, just let me have it. I mean, you're letting me have it behind my back. Why not just tell me? Why not just get it out there? Because we can't be in relationship with each other if we're not gonna be honest. And so, you, I mean, we gotta be nice while we're honest, but we gotta get that stuff out. And it's best to take it out on the Lord, okay? Because we don't always have to be nice there. He's so gracious. We have to be nice with other people because people aren't as gracious as the Lord. But the Lord will help us process this stuff. But as long as we deny it, well, I'm not hurt by that. Hello, I can see your heart. I mean, that's what the Lord is saying. But we think if we pretend in front of people, we can pretend in front of him. And that root of bitterness just grows deeper and deeper and deeper. And it comes out in all these different areas of our lives. And we're like, well, I don't understand. God, why, why do I have this addiction? I don't understand why all of these, these things are happening. Why am I depressed? Why am I irritable? Why is there lust? Why am I addicted to pornography? Why is there so much hate in my life? And I don't understand. It's bitterness. The root is bitterness. And you won't admit it to God. And you won't admit it before man. And so you're, it's poisoning you. And it's coming out. And so we go to counseling. I need to stop pornography. You need to counsel me. And if that, it's a good counselor, they'll get down to the root and say, pornography's not your problem. I love Bethel Church in Redding, California because they, they try to get to roots. I mean, they, when they counsel people that have had a moral failure, the moral failure's not the problem. There's a root. Why did that moral failure happen? Why, why, what's the root that we gotta deal with and dig with? And so what Hebrews chapter 12 does is it teaches us how how we can deal with bitterness. But here's the, here's the thing. It's, you know what it does? Is it says be proactive. Look, look at Hebrews chapter 12. Well, I gotta find Hebrews chapter 12 first. These numbers are a little small. Okay, there it is. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, if you want to keep bitterness from taking root in your life, be proactive. Stop it before it even starts before the wound comes. Because once the wound comes and we're playing catch up, bitterness is a hard one to get a hold of when it's, when it's already starting down the track. We're gonna talk about how to deal with it when we're not proactive, but let's look first at being proactive. Look at what he says. Work, how many of you know what that means? Work. It does not mean stay in bed. It does not mean sit in a pew and hope it happens. When you go to work, 
You gotta get up, you gotta get dressed, you gotta get in your car, you gotta drive there, you gotta punch in, you gotta do your job. Work. Lord, uh, bring unity to our church. Well, he says right here, work at it. I mean, I know that the Spirit brings unity, but Ephesians chapter four says, work to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I mean, the Spirit can do all kinds of stuff, but if we don't work with him, it won't happen. So work at living at peace with each other. That word peace is literally the word harmony. Work at living in harmony with each other. See, it doesn't say work at living in unison with each other. Unison means everything I like, you have to like. Everything I say, you have to agree with. Now we know this book is our standard, and so we have to agree with this book, but most of what happens in our lives is really just our opinion. Most of what happens in church is just our opinion. And so what he's saying here is work at living in harmony with each other. Meaning, here's your opinion, here's my opinion. Now these two opinions have to now make a brand new sound. Harmony. What happens most of the time is our two opinions just produce like discord. And none of us will try to find a way to work so that we can find a good sound together. See how this works? Work, and you gotta work at it. You think you're gonna just go to a church where, oh man, I'm just, I can't wait till I get into a church where it's just gonna be like, oh, it's just gonna flow, oh, it's just gonna, no, it's never gonna happen. You gotta work at it. And if we don't work at this harmony, if we don't work at this relationship with one another, how do we work at it? Well, we take thoughts captive. We refuse to let what someone said or didn't say or did or didn't do just start gnawing at us and eat at us. We refuse to say, oh no, it's not a big deal. We deal with it. We deal with it before the Lord and we deal with it before one another. We don't pretend. We work out our differences. Sometimes we lay down our rights for someone else. We don't let trivial matters like the stupid color of a carpet ruin a relationship. I mean, we actually make jokes about churches that split over stupid stuff like that. Can I tell you, I don't care if the carpet is pink, plush, shag carpet. What matters is the souls coming to Jesus on the carpet. We got to work at living in harmony with each other. Look at the next part. Look after each other. Notice the writer of Hebrews doesn't say, occasionally attend a church worship service at the same location together. Does he? He doesn't say that. That's what we do in America. We occasionally attend a worship service at the same location with each other. That's not our responsibility with each other. It's to look after each other, to be involved in one another's life. And some of us, we don't, I don't want people to be involved in my life. I would like to pick and choose who's involved in my life. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I don't want to have a relationship with everybody in the church. I mean, I don't, you know, I, just only certain people can know how to get a hold of me or know my address. I'm going to keep it a secret. That's not the Bible. Sure, it's really quiet in here today. I gotta look out past the lights to make sure you're still there. What he's calling for here is connection, involvement, mutual association, helping one another. If someone's in need, I do something to help them out of that need. Now, here's what we like to do. If someone's in error, we love to point it out to them. Well, we're gonna talk about how to do that in the right way proactively in just a second, but if we don't do this, if we don't look out for each other before the bitterness or the wound comes, it's, it's kind of, we're playing catch up after and it's way harder. It's way harder. We're gonna talk about that because we don't, we don't do this proactive stuff well. But here's the thing, when it comes to doing something, when, when it comes to telling someone something negative, even psychologists, Christian or otherwise, will tell you today, you cannot say something negative to someone and maintain a good relationship with them if you have not banked something positive first. It's impossible. Because if they don't feel like you have banked good things into their lives, anything, no matter how you try to say it, I mean, you could be Jesus trying to say it to them. 
And they, it won't be received well because the thing about Jesus is he's already banked so much positive in us. So when he says something negative, we can receive it. But we don't want to bank positive. We just want to bank the negative. They say that if you're going to say something negative to someone, you at least have to have two positive banks for it to work. Now, that's just the, the minimum. Most psychologists will say that you have to at least bank four positive things for every negative thing you say to someone. Who in the world has time for that? <laughs> Might as well not just say anything to anybody. But here's another part of this. You know, and actually, I tend to agree with some psychologists that say it's as high as six to one. But here's the thing. You know, just because you see something negative in someone's life, there are ways that you can help deal with that indirectly. I mean, you don't have to walk up to someone and say, here's your problem. I mean, you can just come alongside them and in a positive way, try to bring influence that changes the negative without even pointing it out. But that takes a lot more work on our part, which again is looking out for each other. I mean, it's easier for me to just come to you and say, hey, yo, here's your problem. Uh, okay, now just go fix that and then we'll be in good relationship. I mean, that's easier for me, but that's not looking out for you. That's looking out for me. And here's the thing. Well, I mean, we think that if you're on the stage, if you're a pastor, then all bets are off and we just get to do it however we want. And here's the thing. I don't get to be bitter when people do it to me. I just have to take it to the Lord. But let me tell you something. We will give account for every idle word that comes from our mouths. And so we better make sure we're dealing with the stuff that's coming from our mouths behind closed doors that no one hears. Because he hears it. And that bitter root is poisoning you. I know you think that someone else is your problem. They're not. It's the bitterness that you've allowed to take root in your life. Work at living a holy life, he says. A holy life set apart to God. Well, what's the indicator of a holy life? Well, your relationships with other people. That's what's the indicator. How, how well are you relating to other people, especially other people who disagree with you? That's a great litmus test for how set apart I am to God. Because when we understand our relationship with God and what he's done for us, our relationships with others will be a lot easier because the pressure comes off. And then he goes into the immorality and dealing with it, the immorality of Esau. Esau, his problem was his resentment and bitterness toward Jacob, towards his own birthright even. I mean, his problem was bitterness. Not that he was just, you know, Jacob tricked him. Oh, it's that deceiver, Jacob. Really? Is that what that was? I mean, you can live like that, but you'll, you won't experience freedom in that way. I mean, look at our culture today. There is, there's no freedom anywhere apart from Jesus. I mean, you can get up on a stage and blame anybody you want to blame. But you won't find freedom. In fact, you'll just find more poison that will affect more parts of your life. Stop letting the enemy have access to your life and destroy other things. Stop letting him destroy your home. Stop letting him destroy your relationships. Stop letting him destroy your finances. Stop letting him destroy your mind. It's really this simple to stop letting him. Now, that's the way we, we do it. We're proactive. That would be great in an ideal world, but how many of us know uh, when it comes to being proactive against bitterness, we fail miserably? That's, it's okay. Raise your hand. Be, be like, yep, I fail miserably. We do because, uh, one, it takes a lot of work to be like this, and it, it, we just forget. And then bitterness comes in. That wound comes in. It, it sneaks into our lives, and it begins to grow up. And, and here's the thing. The things that happen to us, the things that other people do to us, they are genuine wounds. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to look at you and say, well, you know, hey, that's not a big deal. You, shouldn't, you should just get over that. Well, he, here's the thing. If it hurts you, and what hurts you will probably be different than what hurts me. But if it hurts you, you, you just can't snap your fingers and just say it's gone. But you do have to deal with it. In Isaiah chapter 53, the prophecy about Jesus, look at this. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. In the, the King James uses the word bruised. He was bruised for us. 
I mean, if you think about these things that happen to us in our lives, whether it's a, just an action that happens, I mean, you get sick or someone gets sick or someone dies, I mean, something that wasn't the result of a person, but just stuff, stuff happens to us, or things that get said about us, or things people do to us, they abandon us, they hurt us, they abuse us in some way. I mean, all of those produce spiritual bruises. I mean, think about what a bruise is. A bruise is when you, your body gets hit, Okay, nothing happens right away and you're like, oh, that really hurt, but I, I mean, it didn't break the skin, but then later on you look at it and the older you get, the worse it happens and the faster it happens. You know, the capillaries under the skin get damaged and you don't see them, but then a bruise appears on the surface and that's tender. And sometimes if it's real severe, you gotta go to someone and get help with that. And so when, when we get wounded, whether by an event or by a person, we have to understand, you, we can't just brush it off. I mean, don't live in this crazy world where you think you can just, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It does hurt. And you gotta take that to the great physician and say, I've been bruised. Here's, you, you cannot go to other people every time they wound you and work it out with them. Oh my goodness, no one has that much time. I mean, some of us are so easily offended at stuff. If we do it every single time, but every single time we get hurt by someone or we feel slighted or something happens to us, we have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I've been bruised. And you know what he says? I was bruised so you could be whole. He knows what that's like. We have to acknowledge our condition before him. Look at the way Isaiah 61 says it. When Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's a prophecy about Jesus. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. That word brokenhearted literally means to shatter beyond repair. I mean, think of your heart being like glass and you drop it, and it shatters. Put that thing back together. <laughs> no, I mean, I was changing a light bulb the other day in the bathroom, and it slipped, fell onto the sink, bam, shatters. Now, luckily, my job is just pick up the pieces and put them in the garbage. I can't imagine picking up those pieces and putting them back together. I mean, some of them are so small, and you don't know it until later when you put your hand on the counter and, ah, I missed one that I didn't see. It was so small. And Jesus says, you know what? If you bring that to me, I have the ability. Okay, we think I gotta get the other person to admit they were wrong. I gotta get the other person to apologize. I gotta get the other, no, 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 no. You gotta go to him. And he can take every single little piece and he can put it back together. That's what he came to do. Because life is difficult and our hearts get shattered, our hearts get bruised, and we have to learn to deal with it. I wanna go back to first, Second Corinthians chapter two. When Paul is talking about forgiveness, look at this. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive, whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us. As we start now to process, how do we forgive? How do we release? What you've got to understand is if we don't learn to forgive or release those who have wronged us, or even to forgive ourselves for the mess we've made of our own lives, I mean, some of us are our own worst enemy. If we don't learn to release the Lord, I know it sounds weird to forgive the Lord, but some of you need to forgive him. And to forgive just means to let go. Because when stuff happens to us and we're like, God, you could have stopped this. I mean, don't hold that inside. Do you think he can't look on your heart and realize that you're wrestling with the fact that he, just tell him, you could have stopped this. And you didn't, and that hurts. That's the process of releasing him. Letting him off the hook. I mean, I know that we're not really letting him off the hook, but we're doing it for our benefit so that we can get out of the prison that Satan tries to put us in through unforgiveness unforgiveness puts us in a prison. It doesn't put the people that we're unforgiving toward in a prison. I mean, we may be able to make them miserable with our actions or our inactions, but we're really the ones that suffer. And I want us to be free. 
Now, I wish I could sit up here and say, oh, you know, I've got this all worked out. You just follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm trying, but follow me as I keep trying to follow Jesus. Look at this, back to Jesus. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Why do we consider it joy when we suffer, when people hurt us or mistreat us? Because it, it gives us the opportunity to receive more of his comfort. I mean, I know, I, I mean, I, I don't want you to leave here today praying, oh Lord, please send people this week to hurt me because <laughs> I want to receive more of your comfort. But here's the, here's the bottom line. Pray or not, it's coming. And when it comes, what we have to do is be like, you just set me up to receive so much from God. You just set me up to be able to be so comforted. I'm gonna be able to receive something that I could have never received had you not mistreated me. I mean, don't please don't say that to the people that mistreat you, but this is what you gotta think. Because if you don't change how you think, you're not gonna change how you live. Okay, we need to say very little sometimes to the people that hurt us, unless it's blessing, as scripture says, bless those who curse you. You know that they say, it says pray for those who persecute you? Why? So you can deal with the bitterness in your heart. Not so that you can let them off the hook, not so that you can, I mean, yeah, we want God to, to let them off the hook the same way he let us off the hook, because how many of you know you've been let off the hook, okay? But we want that, but it's really about us being let go and releasing them. In fact, in, in Romans, Paul says, if you take vengeance into your own hands, you literally handcuff the Lord. But if you let go of that, then vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I'll repay. I see everything that's done. You don't have to take it into your own hands. Please don't. One last passage of scripture that I want to walk us through is in Matthew chapter 18. Just a powerful parable that Jesus teaches to the people around him. He says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process one of his debtors, this is me and you, okay, we are, put your name in there, was brought in who owed him a million dollars. Actually, excuse me, millions of dollars. It was a large debt. Scholars agree this was an unpayable debt. So whatever a pay, unpayable is to you, put that in there. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. And the master was filled with pity and he released him and forgave his debt. Now, okay, this is us. I mean, we, we owed a debt we could not pay. And he not only said, I'm gonna give you more time to pay it, he said, I'm gonna pay it for you. And he released it completely. Now look what we do. We leave there and we find a fellow servant who owes a few thousand dollars. Now in the book, Robert Morris says that it's just a few dollars. I don't, I don't agree with that. As I study it in Greek, it's a, it's a big offense. It's just not as big as millions. So think of it as like a $10,000 offense. It's still a big deal. This person hurts you. I mean, what they did hurts. What happened to you, it hurts. It's a $10,000 offense. But he grabs him by the throat and demands instant payment. We've missed it. We've missed what we've been released from. And we're not letting what he has done to us flow through us to someone else. Well, Pastor Trump, we can't let them off the hook. Why not? You got off. I got off. Why do we have to hold them accountable? Now, I'm not saying you gotta keep letting people wound you and keep letting people hurt you and if you're in an abusive situation, you should just stay there and, and suck it up and keep getting beaten like a punching bag. No, but don't let bitterness take root in your heart for that will destroy you. And so the fellow servant does just what he did. Be patient with me and I'll pay it. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until he could pay the debt in full. So when the other servants saw this, they went and they told the king everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, 
I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? See, there's the thing. You never have to have mercy on anyone beyond what God has had on you. But lest we think that his mercy towards us is not that great, go back to the beginning of the parable and understand. There's nothing anyone can do to us that will even come close to what we have done to him. And his mercy is new every morning. Here's the thing, if someone has wronged you and they don't deal with it before God, they'll give an account for that. Don't let it poison you. There's only two ways that we can handle wounds that come. And the first one, as I've already alluded to, and let me just give you a scripture to write down and read it later, is Psalm 59. David is so good at lamenting before the Lord. And if you've ever read David's Psalms, most of David's Psalms go like this. I am hurting, the enemy is winning, and you don't seem to care. I mean, that's, that's David's lament. But every one of David's Psalms, look at this. Deliver me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise against me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress and my refuge in times of trouble. Now David pours out his heart. God, my enemies are winning. Where are you? Don't you care? But every one of his psalms ends with praise. No, why am I downcast? Put my hope in God. I will trust him, my savior, and my God. He is the filter through which everything comes into my life. And he can be trusted. See, when you forgive someone, you're not giving them your heart. You're not giving me your heart. You're trusting him with your heart. We lament to the Lord, and that's our first step every single time. There are times in Scripture, and Matthew chapter 18 teaches us, that if there's an offense, there's a way to go about it. And the way to go about it is to go to that person. And if you go to that person and you can't work it out, then you go to someone else and you say, hey, come and help me work out my relationship with my friend. Not come and help me prove that I'm right and they're wrong, Help me work out my relationship with my friend. And then if that doesn't work, then you call for the elders of the church and you bring it together and you say, hey, you guys have, to, you gotta help us work this out. Paul said it to the two ladies in Philippi that were fighting. Stop it. Work this out between you two. And we get it in church. We think that the, the word of God, it doesn't matter. I mean, I can, I'll just go home and I'll, I'll, I'll spout off to my spouse about the person that hurt me. Maybe, maybe it's in chapter, verse 18. Maybe, let me keep reading. No, it's not there. And we think it's no big deal because no one heard me but my spouse, except the root of bitterness that's now in your heart and your spouse's heart. There's a reason that God said to do it this way. Not to let other people off the hook, not to let people trample all over you and be a doormat, but to protect our hearts. And some of us, our hearts are so bitter and our lives are in such turmoil and we can't figure it out. And we are running everywhere. and We're trying everything. Is there an essential oil for bitterness? <laughs> we are. And we're trying everything to stop all of these outer things. And if we would just sit down before the Lord and deal with the, the junk and just let him bring it to the surface and know that those wounds are there and people have hurt you through the past and it's there. But there can be freedom. Even when they don't ask for forgiveness, there can be freedom. Jesus taught us that on the cross. We can release them. Work at living at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you. And here's the thing, the emotion of it can take time. I mean, God can do an emotional healing. He can put your heart back together in just a second. Boom, it happens. I mean, it could. But for some of us, it's gonna be a process. And here's the thing, tomorrow when you feel like, 
when, it, when the enemy comes and starts saying, that person, look, that person did this to you. And literally, it's like an oppression. Remind yourself, you're not oppressed. You're free. You're free. How you feel is not what is true. Take those thoughts captive and release that person again. No, 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 no. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm releasing them. Holy Spirit, I right now release them. I bless them in your name. I refuse to hold on to this. Give me grace right now not to allow any of this into my heart. I release it. And then when you see them at Walmart, you don't have to go and hide under the table or get in another aisle real quick. You literally can see them and you can bless them. Now, the, you're gonna have to fake it sometimes at first, but fake it till you make it. And the worst things is what are when the, the wounds, the deeper or the closer the person is, the deeper the wound. And here's the problem. We can't get away from the people closest to us. Don't give the enemy a foothold in your life. Release. I mean, here's the thing. The Bible says, if you want to receive mercy, offer mercy. I would rather err on the side of giving people too much mercy so that I store up mercy. Because here's what I'm learning. I am going to need so much mercy. I just told someone today, I don't, I don't understand. I don't try to be offensive on Facebook, but it's just, it's, it must be my spiritual gift. Because <laughs> people tell me all the time that I'm offensive and I read it again and I'm like, it just doesn't feel offensive to me. I don't understand. And so I'm starting to recognize I'm gonna need a lot of mercy. And so I'm gonna just start giving mercy away all the time to store it up. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna end the service today by coming to the Lord's table, just like we did last week, but we're gonna serve it to you in just a moment. We're gonna play the, the song, O Holy Night, again, the reminder why Jesus came uh, to break all oppression. And then we're gonna remember the sacrifice. And I'm actually gonna close in prayer today with the prayer from the book that Robert Morris writes because he wrote it so elegantly and it's such a lengthy prayer. And so as we serve the elements, we're gonna ask that you just hold them, wait till everyone has been served and then we're gonna pray, we're gonna partake them together and then we're gonna release you. And if you wanna just, if you need to be dismissed, we're gonna let you do that. If you wanna spend time in prayer, we're gonna open the altars to you. Our prayer team is gonna wait here in the front. If you want someone to pray with you, you don't have to come and tell us everything that's going on, who hurt you, who wronged you. Please don't go through the list of who's wronged you. Just say, you know what, I need help releasing some people today. Would you agree with me to do this, to release them? So it might be yourself, it might be the Lord. And so that's kind of the process we're gonna do. And so I'm gonna ask our deacons to come and uh, we're gonna prepare to serve you the elements and uh, we want you to let this song just resonate in your heart as we serve you this morning.
His law is love and His gospel is peace. Change shall He break for the slave is our brother and in His name all oppression I'll cease sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. Lord Jesus, you are the healer and our true comforter. You hold us in the palm of your hand. Lord, right now we want to remember in the power of Jesus' name any emotional wounding that's happened to us, any great loss we've experienced, and any wrong that's been done to us that we haven't forgiven. We want to purposely name in prayer the reason for the pain we feel. Lord, we bring that wounded and bruised experience to you and place it at your feet. Father, we acknowledge to you this great hurt and pray specifically for a holy forgetfulness. We submit these memories to you and ask that you would heal us. Where there has been a lack of forgiveness, let there now be forgiveness in the power of Jesus' name. We choose now by an act of our will to forgive every person who has ever wronged us, we, we choose to release bitterness and unforgiveness in Jesus' name. Please pull out every root of bitterness that we have allowed to form. We choose to forgive ourselves for the wrong and shameful things we've done to receive God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Where we have held on to feelings of hurt, please take those feelings now and remove them from our lives. Where there are feelings of great loss, remind us that you hold all life in your sovereign hands. In Jesus' name, we ask for deliverance from any demonic force that has influenced us. We ask that any footholds given to the enemy would be removed from his hand. By the name of Jesus Christ, we command every spirit that's attached to these memories to flee. Every spirit of insecurity, every spirit of fear, every spirit of anger, every spirit of bitterness or resentment or control or false independence, manipulation, rejection or lack of forgiveness. Fill us now to the full measure with all the goodness of God. We agree with the, the psalmist in prayer that you, O Lord, are our light and salvation. We have nobody and nothing to fear. You are the stronghold of our lives. We are not afraid anymore. 
We pray that our hearts would not be troubled, that we might receive the peace that you have for us. We ask that you, the God of all comfort, would fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. These elements remind us of the forgiveness that you have freely given to us. They remind us of the power we have in you to break every chain of the enemy. As we partake today, we freely receive this from you and we ask for grace to freely give what we have received. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let's partake the elements together. Just begin to thank him for the debt that he's released us from. Lord, today, we thank you that you have never counted our sins against us, that while we were your enemies, you sent your son to us. Father, help us today to freely receive the mercy and the grace that you want to give us. Lord, that we would not leave here today bound by condemnation, bound by guilt, bound by fear and insecurity, but you would help us through faith to receive your grace, your mercy, and your love. I pray that we would experience it today to root and ground our hearts. And Holy Spirit, as we freely received, help us to freely give in Jesus' name. Father, I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them and give them peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer team is here in the front. If you need prayer, I want them to pray with you. If you want to be at these altars, those are open to you.